Our scripture lessons are different to some degree from what we have printed in the bulletin. We're going to read two Old Testament texts as well as the text from Hebrews 7. Our first Old Testament text is Genesis 14, verses 17 through 24, found on page 9 in your pew Bible. But Genesis 14, it occurred to me uh, two weeks ago, last week, and again this week, uh, the main uh, concern in the text, or one of the main concerns, is with Melchizedek. And while we've referred back to Melchizedek and where the Scripture speaks of him, we hadn't actually read those passages. So I think today we'll read uh, those passages. And the first one, the main one, where it tells the events that it happened, is in Genesis 14. Uh, Abraham has gone out, has a, battled with a bunch of kings, and brought back Lot. Lot, his nephew, had been captured with them. And on his return, this is what happens. So listen here to God's Word. Then after his return from the defeat of Kedolamar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, that is to Abraham, in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He, Melchizedek, blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He, Abram, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tenth of all. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, for fear you would say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except the young, what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Anner, Eskel, and Mamre. Let them take their share. Amen. And our other Old Testament text is from, not from, it is Psalm 110. Again, we've read portions of this by virtue of our New Testament readings from Hebrews the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> and of course, we read portions of this uh, various times when it's quoted in the New Testament. Psalm 110, listen here to God's Word. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the, womb, from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the days of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside, therefore he will lift up his head. Amen. And then please turn to Hebrews chapter 7. I decided we should read the entire thing, so we're going to. Hebrews chapter 7, 
we'll read all the verses. And uh, I was going to do a selected verses and could do this, do that. But I think it's worthwhile for us to read the entire thing. So again, listen here to God's word. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was, first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi, who received the priest's office, have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case one receives them of whom it is witness that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. <clears throat> now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life, for it is attested of him, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is the setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Who does not, one who does not need daily like those other priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Amen. <clears throat> 
We'll bow our heads and just take a few moments to meditate on the scriptures which we've read this morning. Gracious God, we come and wait before you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word, which is ever true. Lord, we need to hear your word and understand it. We want to be good ground that receives the word of God, accepts it, and brings forth fruit appropriate thereto. So uh, come and do your good work in our midst. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. How familiar are you with the Melchizedek? Sometimes people don't even know who Melchizedek is or who he was, just as an odd name. Most of us hope that it will not be a word that comes on a spelling test somewhere. Spell Melchizedek. Well, hooray, I'm not going to do that. Uh, are you curious why he is so rarely mentioned in the Bible? We've read in the last three weeks every place where his name is mentioned. Uh, in the Old Testament, all the places where he's mentioned, we read today. Primarily in Hebrews 7 is where he's mentioned in the New Testament, although also in Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 6 a little bit. Uh, but when he is mentioned, it goes to great length, the Word does, to tell us about him. Well, we need to know about Melchizedek because he is a type. That is, he's a picture of, a foreshadowing, a setting forth of the essential traits of the Lord Jesus. If you want to know Jesus better, then get to know Melchizedek. Get to know him as he's presented in the Bible. There are lots of uh, sort of spurious things that have gone around, been distributed over the centuries about him that aren't in the Bible, but pay what's in the Bible. He is, in fact, the high priest of everlasting hope. Here's the first thing to know. He was a real man. Two weeks ago when I preached, we talked a little bit about Melchizedek and those things. Uh, I had people ask me, well, was Melchizedek in the Old Testament, was he a, a theophany, a Christophany, one of those appearances of, of Christ in spirit, and then he goes away. Well, no, he was not. He was a king. It identifies him as a, a holding a political or civil office there in the land where, where Abraham was. Abraham knew who he was, presumably. Uh, he was a king, but he was also a priest, and he was a priest of the Most High God. He, he knew who God was. Now, remember, this is before the giving of the law. Abraham's just been called out of the uh, Ur and Haran, and he's there in the Promised Land. And, uh, but this guy, sort of like Job, he's, he knows the true God, the true living God, and he knows him well, and he's a priest of his. Note also that Abraham received from Melchizedek. Now, Abraham had won a great victory. There was war there in the lands and the kings were fighting and his nephew Lot had been taken. And Abraham takes his men and goes and defeats them all. And he rescued Lot, who was among the elect, if you would say that, and he rescued others from servitude. That was what Abraham did. He carried the promises. Well, think about that. And he had recovered all that was lost. Now, I want you to remember that we're the sons of Abraham. We're the children of Abraham. That's part of what our task is, is to go and rescue, tell the good news, do the battle for those who've been captured by the enemy, held against their will to do his will, as it were. 
I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's, and, and he recovered all that was lost. Two kings come out to greet him as he returns. One is the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom is just what you'd expect. All that that represents, all that which is humanity unleashed, humanity and what it wants to do, and humanity in its fallenness, the king of Sodom. And all he says to, well, we'll get to that later. All he does is say, well, give me what's mine, the people. You can keep the rest. But uh, the other one who met him was the king of Salem. That is Melchizedek, who's the king of true peace. Now, what they brought and what they offered was very, very different. The king of Sodom said, return the people to me, but you can keep all the goods for yourself. And Abraham declined. He said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Lest people say, and you say, I've made Abraham rich. I don't want anyone to think that. And to some degree, what the world does, what Sodom does, is they want to give us stuff and say they've made us rich and we've become captured by that. And that's where our riches come from. Well, no, no. Abraham declines and says, no, he's a believer in God. The king of Salem that is Melchizedek, he comes bringing bread and wine and fellowship or communion. Now, isn't that interesting? Way back in Genesis 14, we find bread and wine, the Lord's Supper, brought here to have communion and to, to celebrate that before God for the victory that has been won. And what Melchizedek says, may the blessing of God and he defines God and identifies God as the creator and possessor of heaven and earth. He's the God of all. He's not some territorial God. This is the God of all. May God bless you. And he gives thanks to God for blessing Abraham and giving him victory over his enemies. And Abraham makes a response. He tithes to Melchizedek. He brings back to God, to the one who represents the people of God, the work of God, he brings a tithe and gives a tithe of all that he has. And of course, in our text from, from uh, Hebrews 7, all those things are mentioned. Now, all of that was real. It was not imaginary. It was not made up. It wasn't a vision. It was real. It was material. It happened. More importantly, it had spiritual significance. It pictured the work of God and of his people. So that was the first point, that Melchizedek is a real man, a human being, and all these things that happen are real. The next point is this, Melchizedek was a type of Christ. I said what a type was in the introduction here about you know, it's a picture of, it's a representation, it's a setting forth, a foreshadowing uh, of the things that, that Christ does. Now, how do we know, how can we say that uh, Melchizedek is a type of Christ? Because of Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is in the Scriptures, it sets out as plainly as it can be, uh, and it's the only other passage in the Old Testament that mentions Melchizedek. But Psalm 110, interestingly enough, is one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in all the Bible in terms of the New Testament. It's quoted again and again and again. Jesus quotes from it at his trial. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all have Jesus quoting from Psalm 110. Two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus was meditating on Psalm 110. And when the Jews came and they tried to trap him, remember, and ask what's the great and first commandment, and uh, he shows them what it is. Then he asks them a question. And his question is based on Psalm 110. When David says, the Lord said to my Lord, well, first he asks, well, who is the Messiah? Now, he knows he's the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? And they say, David's son. Well, tell me then, how is it that David writes, the Lord said to my Lord? If he's David's son, how can he write that? Jesus asked him. Eh, they don't know. And what Jesus is pointing to is his eternality as the son of God. He's forever. He's before David. Abraham saw his day and rejoiced. In uh, John 12, 34, which we don't have time to read, the Jews, again, they're arguing with Jesus, and they say, and Jesus is saying that he's going to go away in John 12. You know, you're right before the, the Last Supper. In fact, you're maybe in the midst of that. Uh, he says he's going to go away. They say, well, we know you can't be the Messiah because we know that the Messiah will never go away because Psalm 110 says it. You're a priest forever. Your days don't end. And Jesus lets them know that, well, you've misunderstood things there. So let's consider Psalm 110 a little bit. The Lord says to my Lord, who is this speaking of? It's pointing to someone who existed before David. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, sit at my right hand. The Lord says to his Lord, that's the place of absolute influence. Think intercession. Think one who can turn the tide for what all is going on. Sit at my right hand. And then there's a picture in Psalm 110 of a battle. That these things are going to go on. But final victory and judgment. It says, in the midst of your enemies, you'll rule. You have many volunteers. And it says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then he says something interesting. He says, the Lord is at your right hand. He's been raised up. He's at the right hand of God. But it says, the Lord is at your right hand. And again, it follows pictures of battle, but final victory and judgment. And that concluding verse of Psalm 110 has always been difficult. Therefore, he, he drinks from a brook, from the brook by the wayside and lifts up his head. It says, in the midst of all the battles that go on, which you know you're going to be victorious on because we've promised that, along the way, there are these brooks. It is the brook, one stream, and you take a drink from that, and you lift up your head, and you're encouraged by that. That's, I think that's what that means. That's what it is to be understood. And we saw two weeks ago how Jesus regularly received encouragement from God, interventions to help him understand who he was and what was going on and how to stand in, in that when all came against him. And so we have here a picture of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation, when people come against him and say, no, you're not, you can't be this, and the life and ministry of the ascended Lord. Jesus has ascended, he's at the right hand of God, the battle goes on. The battle continues, the body of Christ continues the battle against all the hosts of darkness and all the, the fallenness that's there. Final victory is assured. And so Melchizedek becomes the high priest of everlasting hope. Let's just do the two things with his name. He's the king of righteousness. Humanity has fallen. Humanity has been captured by the kings, right? We're all prone to do evil. We're 
totally depraved. That is, everything we do is marred. We do good things, but even the good things we do are, are marred by sin. Personally, that's true. Morally, that's true. Culturally, that's true, etc. We do battle day by day to try and fight against that, moment by moment. People do. People don't want to be, or aren't, don't want to be totally wicked unless they're psychopaths in some way. Uh, but we see all that, we experience that, and we know that God is not unjust, but He is just. And so it's a fearful thing to come before God. We're held captive. What happens? Jesus comes to our rescue. The Son of God, the Savior, comes to our rescue and takes us out from servitude. He pays our debt. The just wrath of God falls on Him. And that's all canceled out on our account. Those who are His own. And so we have a better hope by which we draw near to God, which Hebrews 7 says. Jesus is the assurance of a better hope. He is the better hope by which we draw near to God. So he's the king of righteousness. His righteousness is complete, it's perfect, it's good. He's also the king of peace. We live in an atmosphere of war, not of peace. We have personal wars. We have wars all around us that go on. Just about the time you think, well, there should be an era of peace, war breaks out someplace else. There's wars going on all along. And we ourselves do battle day by day, but this is that Psalm 110 again, which points here. There's this stream, this brook, that reminds us where we're from, who saved us, and what He has for us along the way, and we drink from it. It's from the fact that Christ is for us. And so we have that wonderful text in, Psalm, in, in Hebrews 7 that He ever lives, He never dies, He ever lives to make intercession for us. He knows where you are. He's aware of all the circumstances of your life. He knows where you are and makes sure that His will is done in your life. Isn't that good to know? Because we have things that overwhelm us. We have things that happen to us day by day that, man, we just give up. But we, we, we pause, we drink from that brook that reminds us of the kindness and considerations and, and power of God, and we're encouraged by that. And we have peace. Now, I would like to mention some things, some places where this part from Psalm 110 is mentioned. In Acts 2.34, uh, there on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter's preaching, and he reminds them that uh, there that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. There's where Jesus is. He's the ascended God. He's there. Now, we have this ongoing need to go out and share with people, but He's assured us that He's with us and that we will be victorious. That is, the church will win. It's hard to believe that in the culture in which we live. But did you know the church has advanced much farther than it was a hundred years ago? Now this is the worldwide church. We live in a pocket where the church is going downhill rapidly. 
It's being purified. It's being cleansed, if you would. So we'll, we'll see that. But around the world, the church, the gospel continues to advance in unprecedented ways. There's a long, long, long ways to go, but the church continues to prosper. Now I want to read to you from Romans 8, 34. This is the personal part. Remember, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Right back to Psalm 110. So we have assurance in the midst of all this. And what it says in Hebrews 7, there's the brook. And so we're convinced that neither life nor death nor any of these things can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. A high priest of everlasting hope. Let me read one more passage. 1 Corinthians 15, 25. Talking about the resurrection, but it says what he says, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. So Christ continues to reign, and, and all things are being brought to him. It's a slow process, but it's an exactly a full process, good process. He reigns until all the enemies are there, and we're at the part of that who brings people to him underneath his rule. So Jesus Christ is the one who established us forever, his righteousness. We have the righteousness of Christ applied to us, so we don't have to worry about sin anymore. In that sense, we know we have it. We, we want to get more and more rid of it. There's progressive sanctification, but we know it's not condemning. And we, he's working within us. And he gives us a peace about these things, about things in our life. Pat and I were lying in bed last night. And there's all these things going on. And we said, you know, there's, there's lots of reasons to be upset, to be anxious, to be concerned, to be whatever. Isn't it good to know God knows us? He's put his hand on us and blessed us. And we can look back in our lives and see where, where God has done that. Now, that, that doesn't take away the the apprehensions about the present and about the future, right? You still have to face it's real stuff. But we know that he's going to be with us, that there's this brook that follows us along the way, and we need to turn occasionally and drink from that, lift up our head, and go forward. He made us to be a missionary people to those around us, to those far away. We're on a journey to proclaim the goodness and greatness of God. And so Christ, the Lord Jesus, is to us indeed a high priest of everlasting hope. This is sure. God wins in the end, and he's chosen us to be with him and to proclaim that and to help that victory come forth. May we walk and live in the hope that he gives. Amen.